0: Isn't it cool when you honor the Lord and he funnels his glory through you? Isn't that cool? I think it's cool that we're able to give out $500 scholarships to college students. I just think that is such a neat opportunity as a body that we, I, I, I pray that financially we become just a funnel for this, for this county. We become a place where we just see God's glory and the financial provision for everyone that needs it pour through here. Wouldn't that be awesome? Awesome. No more hungry people? Amen? No more medical bills bankrupting anyone? Come on. Dream big, right? Houses paid for? No more homeless people? Oh, God is good. And that, what? Let's build some tiny homes. That's a dream. I love that. I love our Father. He is a good, good Father. And He loves us all so much If you want to go ahead and turn to the screens, I'm going to have Troy get ready to show us a little video clip from the movie Cinderella Man, and this will kind of intro the message today. What did you see in that video clip between a father and a son? What what did you see? Mercy, love, compassion, understanding. Discipline. I love that because he did discipline him. He said, we do not steal. No matter how bad it gets, that is not an option. Do I have your word? And he said, I promise. And then he said he got to the heart of the reason why he took the salami in the first place. was because he was afraid. He was afraid he was going to get sent away because they couldn't afford to feed them all. And I think of the Lord, and we're talking about the beauty of discipline today. And discipline's not always a fun topic. (laughs) It's not always the easiest one to talk about or hear about. But I want you to know, and I wanted this clip to display God's heart. Because when he disciplines us, this is what it's like. Right? We'll get to to how it feels and and maybe how you see it sometimes later, but I want you to know that he's gentle. Hey, baby. (laughs) And that he loves you so much. I love how he got down to his level and he talked to him. He didn't yell at him. He didn't talk at him. He talked with him and to him. And that is how our Father God talks to us. That is how he communicates with us. It is a beautiful thing to be disciplined by the father. That sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? Discipline being a beautiful thing, a good thing. But it is. Any parent knows that, right? You know that when you have a child, that it's part of your parental duties to discipline your children, right? Right. Okay. Cool. I want to read you this paragraph. We are taking a lot of what we have today out of the God is Good book by Bill Johnson, and I want to read you this paragraph. When I talk about this perfect father, capital F for Father God, I'm not talking about someone who refuses to discipline his children, and while the subject of discipline is not what people want to hear, it is real and needed. The truth of the matter is that he loves us too much to leave us where we are. So good. I love my kids too much to leave them in a place where they're hurting themselves or hurting someone else. Some of the most significant changes only take place in that context of discipline. According to scripture, discipline proves we belong to him as sons and daughters, Hebrews 12, 7 through 8. Those who are without discipline are not real heirs and descendants. Wow. Did you catch that? How many of you loved getting disciplined as a child? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) How many of you love getting disciplined as an adult? It's not our favorite thing, is it? But here it says that we are we are heirs and we are descendants, and we know that we are those things by being disciplined as sons and daughters. That's pretty cool. Let's think positively. That's pretty cool. So he says, those who are without discipline are not real heirs and descendants. They are fakes. They may talk the talk, but you can't authentically walk the walk without discipline. Wow. Turn with me to Hebrews 12. He referenced Hebrews 12. The truth of the matter is, he loves us too much to leave us where we are. I am grateful. I am grateful for the Lord's discipline in my life because I want to grow, I want to learn, I want to be educated in the kingdom. I'm not talking about just be educated in the world. I want to be educated in his kingdom. How many of you want to know more about who he is and how he loves us and heaven and, and that realm that we, the, we operate, we're to operate in? How many of you want to know more? That's part, part of figuring those things out is walking with him in discipline. So let's read in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. And have you forgotten, we're at verse 5. And have you forgotten his encouraging words spoken to you as his children? These words are encouraging, okay? My child, don't underestimate the value of the discipline and training of the Lord God. Or get depressed when he has to correct you. For the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful love. And when he draws you into himself, it proves you are his delightful child. So his discipline in your life is proof that you're his child, that you're his daughter, that you're his son, that you're his priest in the kingdom, that you're his kings in the kingdom. Amen? Isn't that awesome? We don't don't always think of it like that, but it is awesome. Verse 7, fully embrace God's correction as part of your training. Fully embrace God's correction as part of your training. For he is doing what any loving father does for his children. For who has ever heard of a child who never had to be corrected? We all should welcome God's discipline as the validation of authentic sonship. For if we have never once endured his correction, it only proves we are strangers and not sons. God's word is so rich, verse 9, and it isn't true, isn't it true, that we respect our earthly fathers even though they corrected and disciplined us? Then we should demonstrate an even greater respect for God, our spiritual father, as we submit to his life-giving discipline. Our parents corrected us for the short time of our childhood as it seemed good to them, but God corrects us throughout our lives for our own good, giving us an invitation to to share in his holiness. Now all discipline seems to be more pain than pleasure at the time. Yet later, it will produce a transformation of character, bringing a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who yield to it. I had an experience um, like two years ago or so um, that I called my uncle. My uncle has been a counselor to me and especially after we lost our son, I needed someone to talk to about the grief. And I was really frustrated with someone, like not good frustrated. And I called him, and I thought I would get him on my side, okay? So I'm telling him all the things that, all the grievances, all the things that I felt were wrong about the situation, and he gently and lovingly corrected me. Did it feel great at the time? No. No. But it was like the best correction that I had ever received. He was gentle. He was, have you thought about it this way? He didn't yell at me. He didn't say, you idiot, why are you doing that? Why are you thinking that way? He was gentle in his correction. And he just kind of swooped in there with the truth of the word of God. We do not steal, no matter what. And then corrected my heart and shifted my heart back to a place of holiness towards and love towards the person that I had a grievance against. And it was not, it was, it was different. I was like, wow, he just, he just basically spanked me. I got off the phone, and I'm like, I just got in trouble. And I called for him to be like on my side. <laughs> but then I, I realized that little bit of pain, that little bit of like, oh, wow. That's how God does it. He doesn't beat us. He isn't brutal, he doesn't yell, he uses his words and the truth of his word, right? And it's a good thing, it's a good thing to be educated and to be disciplined in his love. And he always does it with love. If you receive discipline and it's not covered in love, it's not smothered in love, then you know it's not God. God. If shame and guilt are what you're feeling over and over and over again, God doesn't shame you. God doesn't guilt you. He convicts you, and he causes you to have a repentant heart. And sometimes that means that it is painful, and it, is, it, it doesn't feel good because you know you're wrong, and you have to admit that you're wrong. But it doesn't, he doesn't shame you and make you feel bad for days and days after. He corrects you. He He steers you back onto his path. He gives you his word to take hold of, and and you move forward. He doesn't browbeat you. He doesn't keep you there. You remember what you did yesterday? You're doing it again today. That's not how he is. That's not, he's a good father. Pastor Travis talked about his fatherhood, his fathership. I don't know what that word I'm trying to come up with, but he talked about that in our lives last week and that we need that intimacy with him. And as we're intimate with him and as we have relationship with him, he gently corrects us. And sometimes it doesn't feel good, but it's necessary. So check this out. Go to John 15. Jesus, the living vine And I just want to read this quote to you. Done correctly, discipline serves and strangely unites. It doesn't divide. In the book, he talks about disciplining his children and not making it an outburst, but making it an event. Talking with them, cooling down and going to them and talking with them. And he said after he finished disciplining his children, most of the time they would come and sit in his lap for the rest of the evening. When we read that in the parenting book that we're reading, it was just like a game changer of, I want my kids to run to me, even when they know they've done something wrong. I don't want them to run away. I don't want them to hate. I don't want that. I don't want the enemy to have an opportunity in their hearts. I want them to always know that my discipline in their life is covered and smothered in love. Amen? It's good. All right, John 15, Jesus the vine I'm going to read starting in verse 1. This is so, so, so good. I am a true sprouting vine, and the farmer who tends the vine is my father. This is Jesus speaking. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. The words I have spoken over you have already cleansed you. So you must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. Isn't that good? That I love the illustration of pruning. Papa Joe has taught me something when I garden. When I plant tomato plants, he taught me that I have to remove the suckers on the tomato plant. And I'm like, okay. And he, the first year, he showed me, and I watched. And then the second year, I did it, and he watched. And this year, I'm doing it all by myself, and I did good. <laughs> but that pruning process, a sucker is a, is a little growth that comes out in between the main stem and the branch that's going to bear fruit, and if you leave the suckers, they'll steal the nutrients from the branch that's going to bear fruit, and the fruit won't be as good or as much or as pretty, okay? So you got to take that sucker off because it's life-sucking, right? Take it off, and you're going you're gonna to bear much fruit on your tomato plant. How many like garden fresh tomatoes? Hallelujah, me too. I've got six plants going strong, which I probably ought to go out and check for suckers now because you have to keep doing it. It's not a once and done thing, right? Papa Joe, you have to keep pruning. You have to keep taking those off as they grow. Isn't God good that he gave us a simple illustration of what he does in our lives? That if he isn't pruning us, if he isn't removing those things that suck the life out of us and stop us from bearing fruit, He loves us too much to not see growth, to not see fruit. What what does it say? You will know them by their fruit. You'll judge them by their fruit, right? That's the only time we're allowed to judge is by the fruit of what comes out of someone's life. You can't say, I think they're doing this. That's not our place. We're going to know people by the fruit. I want to be very fruity. I do. I want to be fruity. I want to bear much fruit in the kingdom. And what does he say? I have to live life intimately joined to him, to where I'm okay with him coming in and saying, we got to take this out. I know you're hanging on to it, but this anger issue here has got to go. This issue with self-esteem that makes you need approval from people, I got to take it out. Because then you're not looking to me for approval you're looking to someone else this issue with addiction I gotta I gotta get it out of you and it's a good discipline and sometimes it hurts because the realization that we're relying on something more than him hits us kind of hard right in the nose a little bit but it's a beautiful thing to say okay take it away get it out I submit. There's something about submitting to his love. It's his love, guys. It's not his anger. He doesn't do it out of anger. That father disciplining his son, you notice he didn't get angry. That's how God is with us. He doesn't get angry with us. Okay? He gently corrects. Sometimes it can be intense, but okay. So here we go. I'm going to stop there, but you can keep reading. There is so much in that passage. Oh, my word. The part that I love is down in verse 10. If you keep my commands, you will live in love, just as I have kept my Father's commands. For I continually live nourished and empowered by his love. What are we to be nourished and empowered by? The love of God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That that is my nourishment and my power is your love in my life and your discipline in my life. I want to read you one more quote. He simply wants to talk to us to bring about the change that is needed to become the doers of his word, as he always intended. And then I just wrote this. He's not harsh or brutal. He simply convicts, then converses with us to change our thought process, which changes our action which changes our lives. He wants to have conversation. He loves your heart. He loves your mind. He loves what he's put inside of you, and his pruning is healthy. And it is a, it is a gentle and yet very righteous and holy action that happens in us when we submit to his pruning in our life. Amen. Amen
1: go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 9. In this this section of Scripture, this chapter, Bill Johnson calls it the great experiment of Jesus. So go ahead. uh, We're going to start right in verse 1. We're just going to read a few verses here. Luke chapter 9 is a jam-packed chapter in Scripture. It's like 60 verses long almost. And some crazy things um, take place. So starting right in verse one, Jesus summoned together his 12 apostles and imparted to them authority over every demon and power to heal every disease. Kind of sounds like what he's done with us. Then he commissioned them to preach God's kingdom realm and to heal the sick and demonstrate that the kingdom has arrived. As he sent them out, He gave them these instructions, take nothing extra on your journey, go as you are, don't carry a staff, a backpack, food, money, not even a change of clothes, whatever home welcomes you as a guest, remain there and make it your base of ministry, and wherever your ministry is rejected and not welcomed, you are to leave that town and shake the dust off your shoes as a testimony before them the apostles departed and went into the villages with the wonderful news of God's kingdom realm and they instantly healed diseases wherever they went. Jump down to verse 10. Months later, the apostles returned from their ministry tour and told Jesus all the wonders and miracles they had witnessed. Jesus, wanting to be alone with the 12, quietly slipped away with them, to, uh, with them toward Bethsaida. Here, we're gonna stop there. So following this time of successful ministry, right, the 12 apostles return, and they're celebrating all the amazing things they've seen during the months they've been ministering, proclaiming the kingdom and healing every disease. So following this time, though, we see in Luke 9, as we move forward, some strange things begin to rise to the surface in these 12 men. So go to verse 46. There we go, number one. The disciples began to argue and became preoccupied over who would be the greatest among them. Fully aware of their innermost thoughts, Jesus called a little child to his side and said to them, If you tenderly care for this little child on my behalf, you are tenderly caring for me. And if you care for me, you are honoring my Father who sent me. For the one who is least important in your eyes is actually the most important one of all. So the disciples arguing back and forth and comparing who was greater than who probably resulted from the miracles they performed during their ministry. We don't know how many months this was, but we need to remember something. Jesus sent them out two by two. So as they're ministering and seeing these amazing moves of God and people being healed and miracles happening, there's only one other disciple with them that's seeing this. So as they come back together, they probably don't believe that the other ten disciples have seen things that have been quite as amazing as what they saw. Because they weren't with them. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. You gotta listen to what I did. Listen to how great I was. The miracles I performed. Jesus, I love how the Passion Translation says it, fully aware of their innermost thoughts. Jesus knew what was going on. He knew exactly what they were thinking. Realized it was time to prune a branch. Their concept of greatness was based on what they did. And if that branch was allowed to grow, it would remove all possibility of lasting fruit for the glory of God. Like Leslie said, Jesus is most concerned with the fruit that we bear. And if this branch of comparison was allowed to grow, there would be no lasting fruit for God's glory from here on out because it would be all about their glory and seeing what they did. And what did Jesus do? He revealed yet again a mystery of the kingdom, and he pointed to a child. And he said, if you want to be great, become like this. Number two, let's go to verse 49. The disciple John said, Master, we found someone who was casting out demons using your name, and we tried to stop him because he doesn't follow you like we do. (laughs) Yep. We're all sitting here like, I would never say that. I would never do anything. Jesus responded, you shouldn't have hindered him, for anyone who is not against you is your friend. Why would they do this? Well, first off, jealousy. If you would read back in Luke chapter 8, Jesus was on the mountain. It was a transfiguration. He was on the mountain with three of his other disciples. So there were nine disciples who weren't on the mountain with him. And when Jesus stepped down off the mountain, this father ran up and said, Lord, my, my son, is, he's demon-possessed. And your disciples have tried to cast out the demon, but they, they couldn't. And so Jesus, of course, has a disciplined moment and casts the demon out of the boy. So just a little while later, the disciples who were unable to cast this demon out, they see someone who's not even part of their group casting a demon out of someone. And they're like, this guy doesn't even follow Jesus like we do. He's not even part of our, you know, good old boys club and He's able to cast this demon out. So they're jealous because he's doing something they can't do. Also, like we said, they had an all-access pass to Jesus. And they probably thought something like this. Okay, shouldn't compare with each other, right? We're not better than each other, but we're definitely better than this dude. They took it on as a measure of personal accomplishment instead of personal responsibility. It was a badge that they wore, I'm part of the Jesus Power Club, or whatever, I don't know. And they, that was an accomplishment for them that, that elevated them to this status that they were better than everybody else. Instead of it convicting them with a responsibility to minister the love and compassion of Jesus, Again, Jesus lovingly prunes back the branches of jealousy and elitism, which would cost them greatly in the future if not addressed now. In Luke, Jesus says, to whom much is given, much is required. It it doesn't make you any better than anyone else. But we've been given so much, we have a responsibility Isn't that in Spider Man? With great power comes great responsibility. They took that from the Bible. That's not Spider Man. (laughs) Jesus is interested in fruit. They needed to know, we need to know, that some of our support, some of their support would come from people who were not in their club. Are you kidding me? The Baptists? They're healing people, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, the Lutherans. Are you kidding me? We're Pentecostal. They can't be doing things like that if we're not doing it. And that's exactly what was happening here. All these other denominations, they saw doing the same things they were called to do but unable to do, and they got jealous. But once again, Jesus spoke and they were changed. Jesus didn't come down hard on them. He didn't publicly rebuke them. He lovingly spoke and pruned a branch and they were changed. So one more time, yet again, verse 51. Jesus passionately determined to leave for Jerusalem and let nothing distract him from fulfilling his mission there. For the time for him to be lifted up was drawing near, so he went he sent messengers ahead of him as envoys to the village of the Samaritans. But as they approached the village, they were turned away. They would not allow Jesus to enter, for he was on his way to worship in Jerusalem. The Samaritans, if you study this, we don't have time to get into it, they were notorious because they, they were kind of half breeds, and um, the, the Israelites saw them as spiritually inferior. And so they did not get along well. And so you had to go through Samaria to Jerusalem for any of the you know, yearly festivals and times of worship. And so they were notorious for not allowing God's people to come through. And this is what happened. They wouldn't let Jesus and his disciples come through. So when the disciples, Jacob and John, realized this verse 54, what was happening, they came to Jesus and said, Lord, if you wanted to, you could command fire to fall down from heaven just like Elijah did and destroy all these wicked people. Jesus is probably thinking in this moment, good enthusiasm, a little misdirected. Jesus rebuked them sharply saying, don't you realize what comes from your hearts when you say that? For the son of man did not come to destroy life, but to bring life to the earth. Again, Jesus has to prune a branch. This time dealing with the spirit of murder. It is, it's true. Check the screens. Read this quote with me. This hit me hard. I hope it hits you hard. The need to be vindicated in order to feel good about ourselves is very shaky ground to build upon. (laughs) They said that to me. They did that to me. I'll show them. Right? They didn't accept what I said? They didn't do what I told them to do? All right then, I'll show them who's boss. How, how often do parents, we've done that. Our discipline of our child has way more to do about how we're feeling than what's in their best interest. If Jesus allowed this branch to grow, it would threaten his purpose and mission entirely. Jesus came to save lives, not destroy them. Just as the disciples used the story of Elijah to justify what they knew in their hearts to be wrong, we do the same thing with Scripture. When we know the heart of our Father, which Jesus came to reveal, his heart is love, it is compassion, it is mercy, in forgiveness. I would be a little worried. So Rick and Eric, a few weeks ago, they went to War West Virginia. And it is, we can't get into everything, but it's a city that is completely overrun by drug addiction. Almost every person in the city is addicted to drugs, including law enforcement. And Say And they went down there to minister, and it was, it was powerful, and it's not the only time. We're, we're going back. But say they came back, and Rick came up to me, and he said, well, they didn't listen to a thing we said down there, so I say we bombed them. <laughs> Let's get rid of them all. They, they, they did nothing to change. We presented truth. They rejected us, kill them all. I would be a little worried. Be Like, Rick, you need some help, brother. Word of God says that God does not rejoice in the death of the wicked. How many of us have thought ISIS, terrorists, bomb them? Kill them all. Wipe them off the face of the earth. We don't need to deal with that fear. We don't need to deal with that danger, slaughtering and murdering Christians as an example of their power. Kill them. I've said it. Is that the heart of our father? No. Absolutely not. Listen to this. Oh, where's my book? There you are. You once was lost, now you're found. Okay. Listen to this. Mm. So he was talking about, um, a lady came up to him, this is Bill Johnson Church, and was saying how Bill needed to pray judgment upon the whole city of San Francisco. And he goes on, he says, don't get me wrong, the sins of that city and most others are great. Inexcusable, yes. Unforgivable, No. This isn't the day of judgment, right, Eric? This is the day of great mercy. The day of judgment is in his hands. The day of mercy is in ours. All of us who received his forgiveness have done so because of his mercy. All we're praying is, God, I know I'm no better than the people in this city. Please show them the same undeserved mercy you've shown me. This is the day when insanity is called sanity. Wrong is considered right and foolishness is called nobility. Babies are murdered in the name of rights while animals are protected in the name of responsibilities. And all of this fought for with an offering and zeal only God alone is worthy of receiving. We are in desperate need of his mercy upon our cities and our nations. In Luke 9, we just read it. We see Jesus give power and authority, all authority and power, to men who were clearly a little unstable and immature. Yet, he didn't seem surprised or frustrated when these issues rose to the surface. And here's the thing. He wasn't concerned about how it would make him look, because that's where we tend to go immediately. If we're leading people, if we're discipling them, and they make a mistake— how's this going to be a reflection on me I'm going to look bad and so we discipline out of that heart don't you ever do that again don't you ever make me look like that again didn't I raise you better than that didn't I teach you better than that I never see Jesus anytime make a statement like that He wasn't concerned about how it may make him look. And he didn't give them a timeout and make them sit on the bench. All right, three strikes. You can't minister for at least three weeks till you get your act together. You read your Bible and you write a thousand times, I will not do that again on a sheet of paper and give it to me and then we'll talk. He didn't do that. Here's the greatest thing. Jesus spoke. He spoke. They were changed. And these issues never happened again. You can read it. Nothing like that ever happened again. Because Jesus and his discipline, out of love and mercy, is what changes us. It's amazing.
0: The disciples were messy, but Jesus was not scared of their mess. Thank goodness. We can be messy sometimes, right? But he's not scared of it. He's not scared of it at all. Jesus is so not scared of it that he, said, he dealt with this, and then just, I think, a chapter later, he sends out 70 more disciples to minister. Isn't that cool? He just dealt with his 12 doing those things and saying those things, and he's like, all right, ready, go. Ha-ha! <laughs> Seventy more. Go. Go. He is prepared through his Holy Spirit's power to walk with us through it all. Proverbs 14.4. I like this. The only clean stable is an empty stable. <laughs> so if you want the work of an ox and the, to enjoy an abundant harvest, you'll have a mess or two to clean up. Right? We are messy, but we are made righteous through Jesus. And it's us aligning our hearts and our minds with the truth of the word, and we get to walk in that holiness and that righteousness, being pruned along the way, and Jesus helping us clean up our messes, convicting our hearts, walking with us, working with us. And I love this quote. The goal of many in ministry is no messes, and that becomes the measure of success. This is Bill Johnson. I remind you, graveyards are orderly and clean. Nurseries filled with babies are not. One is alive and the other is dead. If you want increase, get out a shovel and learn how to patiently work with people who are in process. Just because we're standing on this stage doesn't mean we have it all figured out and we walk in complete perfection. Jesus is the only perfect one. But we walk in him and he brings about perfection and holiness and goodness in us that we can't do without him. What? Yes, he does. Thanks for agreeing with me. Thanks. Woo. Isn't that good? So what do we do? We abide in the vine. We abide intimacy. We're back there again. Isn't that cool how God just dovetails like weeks and weeks of messages all into one, I want relationship with you. It is a good thing. It is a God thing. We listen to his voice. He talks to us. He shapes us with his words. He corrects our hearts. Sometimes we hear an audible. Sometimes we hear it in our spirit. Sometimes we read it in the word. How do we do all those things? By being with him, spending time with him, listening to him, loving him and letting him love us. And you know what? Sometimes it's hard because you're letting him in the places that you don't really want to admit are there. But he's ready to go in and clean up the mess. He loves it. He loves setting things right. That's why he sent his son, right? He loves us. He loves us. So we abide in the vine. We listen to his voice. We live with a repentant heart. Oh, God, let my heart never grow cold. Let my heart never grow hard. Let pride not enter my heart. Let me walk in humility, not lowly and bow beaten But in humble walk of God, you are working in me, you have your being in me and I will listen and I'm sorry I messed up here and I know you're going to help me do it right the next time. The revelation of the Father is to happen through us as it happened through Jesus. The revelation of the Father is to happen through us As it happened through Jesus, are you revealing the Father every day? Is his fatherhood and his love pouring through your actions? Is his mercy and his grace pouring through your heart and your hands and your eyes and your mind? We are his image bearers. This is the proof of our sonship. We all should welcome God's discipline as the validation of authentic sonship or daughtership. For if we have never once endured his correction it only proves we are strangers and not sons. Hebrews 12.8. Can we just take a second? We're not going to do an altar call. This is really intimate and personal. God loves you. And he is so excited by your heart for him. And so he invites you into this relationship, this pruning, this walk, this growth, this fruit that's going to flow from your life. How exciting is that? So I want to take a second. I know this is weird, but I I feel like this is what we should do personally and individually as we, we can bow our heads if you want. You can keep your eyes open. I don't care. But we want to say thank you, God, for your discipline in my life. Thank you for calling me a daughter and a son. Thank you for caring enough about me not to leave me where I was. Thank you for helping me through the trials and the storms and helping me see your love. Thank you for guiding me. Let's just take a minute as we just silence our hearts and, 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 and our voices and Travis plays and just thank him.